All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, for the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp, Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for a second time Paul Usum. He's the editor of the Gold and Silver Analyst newsletter. Uh, that started uh, publication. He, he started that publication back in January of 2011. His analytical skills were initially developed at the University of Illinois Champaign, where uh, he earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. And Paul uh, previously participated in the Bloomberg Gold Survey for 120 weeks, from March 1705 through the week of uh, July. 2nd, 2007, the Bloomberg Gold Survey previously had an accuracy rate in the 57 to 58% range. Paul Usum accurately forecast the gold price 79 out of 120 weeks, or that's a two-thirds, 66% uh, success rate. Uh, so Paul has been very, uh, very, very accurate, uh, quite accurate, I might say, on uh, predicting the gold price, so we're hoping that he can help us do the same thing today as the gold price continues to head lower. Welcome, Paul. It's good to have you with us. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's really good to have you. A very interesting newsletter that you put out there, and we'll tell our listeners a little later how they can avail themselves to it, but your latest newsletter, you wrote about a huge whale that right. has entered the water. Um, now, that whale is not the London whale. It's, I think, called the Susquehanna whale. What, right. But can you talk about what water are you talking about and what whale are you talking about? Tell us a little bit more about uh, the whale that you're, t- that you're describing in your letter. Well, periodically, I'll check and see who the biggest holders are of the SLV ETF, you know, who hold the physical silver. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it's been banks, you know, quarter in and quarter out. <clears throat> but when I was checking for the third quarter of 2013, I noticed a new name by the name of Susquehanna International Group, <clears throat> and as far as I'm concerned, they basically came out of nowhere, to, you know, from maybe, let's say, holding like a position of like the eighth or tenth biggest holder in the SLV to all of a sudden they're the biggest holder, and they increased their holdings by like almost 900%. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that they're the biggest holder ahead of like Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, I was looking into them. It's like, who are these guys? And then when I started looking into it, I, I went on the Internet and pulled up a, a 13F, 
to show like their uh, positions and stocks, ETFs, and uh, options. And uh, the size of the, this company, their th- 13F holdings, is like 188 billion or so, which hmm. is absolutely huge. Hmm. Um, so I was just curious, you know, what percent of their portfolio was this uh, silver ETF as a percent of the total holdings? And as it turns out, it's a really small percent. So that's why I say, you know, a huge whale has entered the water, and the mm-hmm. water being, in this case, the SLV ETF. And they also substantially increased their position in the GDX ETF, which mm. is also a little surprising to me. The GDX is the, uh, that's the gold shares, right? Right. It's like uh, a group of like 50 companies or so, you know, mm-hmm. the larger gold mining companies. So are they on the long side of this market, Paul? Are they both sides? How do these guys trade? Well, when you pull the information, you can get like the stock information and ETF information like off the NASDAQ, mm-hmm. and you can get a 13F from this company called Whale Wisdom. The 13F will really only show your long positions. It seems like in the United States, you just cannot find what the short positions are for a lot of these companies. Hmm. You know, like in Europe, you can find out what the short positions are. Like in Germany and France, they've got reporting requirements. Like if you're shorting like over a half a percent of the stock, you have to report. And actually, I saw Susquehanna on the short very few times, I think like once or twice, like in France and once mm-hmm. in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bigger short was like BlackRock. But um, to the best that we know, uh, Susquehanna, well, we know Susquehanna is, is long, this 7,242,000 shares of the SLV ETF. Whether they're short some amount of those shares, don't know. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because we saw this, uh, uh, was it Jim Chanos, a very famous uh, um, hedge fund, short. Short, uh, talking about his positions, and he was exactly saying what you're saying is that you can't really tell what I'm investing in because we're not required to disclose short positions. It seems to me if you're, dis- if you're required to, d- to disclose long positions, why not short positions as well? But in any, exactly. in, in any event, Paul, well, these guys came out of nowhere in terms of the, um, uh, the Susque- what's the name of it, Susquehanna? Susquehanna International Group. The Susquehanna International Group in in Pennsylvania, named after the river, I, I presume, uh, Susquehanna River, they came out of nowhere, uh, as far as you're concerned, with respect right. to the uh, to the SLV and, and gold and so forth. But they certainly ha- have been around. When, when did you say they were founded? They were founded in 1987 by uh, six individuals who apparently all still are involved in the company. And this Susquehanna really is a global powerhouse. Um, when you look at their biggest holdings, I've never seen anything quite like this. Most of their biggest holdings are options positions going calls and puts. So it appears that they'll take a position like uh, betting on the stock market going down, but they'll hedge that with some calls betting on it going up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And they're not just here in the United States. You know, They've got short positions in Europe. They basically trade all markets around the world, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there are 188 billion thereabouts in total assets. Um, so their investment approach then is really pretty short-term orientated for the most part, do you think? I would think for the most part. I think their trader mentality at heart, you know, part of their trader mentality is, you know, calculated risk-taking, and they 
kind of embrace poker to some degree. And, you know, poker is basically, you know, like odds and probabilities. So they definitely are short-term, but, you know, like when I was looking at uh, the SLV ETF holdings over the course of 2013, I noticed they were, like, still in the top, let's say, 10 holder in the first quarter. They were, like, maybe number 13 in the second quarter, and then they jumped to number one biggest holder in, in the third quarter of this year. Mm-hmm. So they're still holding this ETF. They're trimming their position as a trader would. Mm-hmm. My guess is this fourth quarter with silver being down, I wouldn't be surprised if they trim their SLV ETF position pretty substantially. But the fact that they're holding it throughout the year, um, somebody somewhere seems to like silver at Susquehanna. Uh, what besides gold and silver do they invest in? You mentioned that it's a very small percentage of their portfolio. They're, what what else do they do they hold, or do they? I guess they don't hold anything too long. They probably uh, t- tend to trade things in and out and go in different directions at different times. So while they're big right now uh, in the gold and silver markets, they could be gone tomorrow, right? True. Although I would say, like their option positions, you know, you couldn't rely on those what they're publishing, you know, at the end of the third quarter, they could be gone the next day. But, like, their their five biggest holdings are puts on the stock market, then puts on Apple, calls on Apple, calls on the stock market, and then they hold a pretty big position in Apple Computer, looks like $4.5 billion, which represents a little over 2% of their portfolio. So they do hold some stocks, um... They actually hold, you know, a decent amount of gold and silver stocks. And uh, when you just look at their stock holdings and ETF holdings, they have a fairly substantial gold stock position, a little over a billion. But I say, you know, they're just entering the water. It's the size of this company. They could get much more involved if they wanted to. Sure. You mentioned the names of six individuals that started the company. Do you have any sense of who else... Uh, who their clients might be, or are these the equity players, or maybe you don't have that information. Are there other equity players in this company, and who might some of their clients be, or or is that information not available? You know, I'm not familiar uh, with that information. I know they're also a market maker for like 600 equity options, including J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, uh, I think GE, so that probably explains why they have such huge option positions, mm-hmm. you know, as a percent of their portfolio. Sure. You know, when I was looking at, like, other companies, just to see if there's anybody in their league for the way they trade, you know, uh, Bridgewater, which is another, you know, behemoth. Sure. They really don't have option positions like this. BlackRock, um, which is a bigger company, um, their 13F lists out at, like, $296 billion. They don't really have you know, minimal option positions. The only company out there, um, and it, and this would include, you know, like uh, the banks, the only company out there is like Goldman Sachs, and they're, they're similar, let's say, to, mm-hmm. to the Susquehanna. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody's heard of Goldman Sachs, but very few people have heard of Susquehanna, which really leaves me wondering who they really are, aside right. from the six founders. And, uh, you know, can you give us some sense of, how big of player they would be in the gold markets compared to some of the other big names, like the J.P. Morgans or the Goldman Sachs or the Swiss Bank? Well, they're actually, you know, they're, BlackRock has, if you pull their 13F, they're listed out 
at uh, 296 billion. Mm-hmm. Susquehanna is listed at 188 billion. JP Morgan is at 337 billion. Goldman Sachs is at 270 billion and Morgan Stanley is at 211 billion. Hmm. So Susquehanna is in the same league yeah. size-wise as these guys, but I would say they're trading the only one that's in the same league from an option standpoint would be like Goldman Sachs. Hmm. So for them to have this kind of confidence to put these kind of option, you know, trades on is just I find it incredible. Mm-hmm. Also too being started in 1987 you know, when the stock market yeah. crashed, that's when a lot of option companies, you know, or some of them at least, bit the dust. Yeah. So for Susquehanna to start then and then to start thriving from that point forward, it's just, it's it's a little mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling and it, it, it makes me very curious who these people are and the fact that they've come into the gold and silver markets at a time when the markets are seemingly... Um, running against where they should go in terms right. of the, the fundamentals and so forth, I just have to wonder if they're not playing some games. And, you know, I don't want to sound um, conspiratorial or paranoid or anything, but if you go to the the work of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee and others that have done a lot of work, there certainly is, is very little doubt now, I think, that the paper markets are being manipulated to a very great extent and you know Paul last time we talked you you made the point that the bullion banks were about as long as they've ever been at least in recent history on the right. gold side and and the silver side too I believe you said the the point is though that since you and I last talked the gold price has gone down so if these guys True. are on the long side more than usual you have to wonder which which raises another question in my mind Paul Recently, I'm reading, you know, we, we know, it's very well documented, that the Chinese are importing huge amounts of gold now. Some right. people have even suggested as much as produced this year around right. the world is being imported into China. Uh, somebody was suggesting that J.P. Morgan and other major players, but specifically J.P. Morgan, uh, that has probably the ability to front-run these uh, gold and silver markets, is maybe very very well doing so on behalf of their clients, their Chinese clients, to allow them to buy gold as cheaply as possible. And they're also suggesting, uh, or the same person noted, that in fact J.P. Morgan has taken something like 96% of all the physical bullion off the COMEX, uh, gold bullion off the COMEX this month. Right. So you put those things together and you sort of start to say, well, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe the Chinese or the J.P. Morgan, which is, uh, you know, buying off the privileged people and the policymakers in China by hiring their their sons and daughters into privileged positions. Well, maybe J.P. Morgan is also uh, involved very much here in manipulating the price and taking delivery. Maybe that's part of the reason they have a long position is on behalf of their Chinese clients. Any any thoughts on that on that uh, supposition? Well, I agree with you, but I, I'd like to point out also that, you know, since we talked last, the banks have actually increased their long position really? in the gold market. So if, when you go to the bank participation report uh-huh. um, for December, the banks now are net long 43,369 contracts, which is the most net long they've been in the last two years. Um, I hadn't gone beyond that, but I wouldn't be shocked if this is their biggest net long position they've had. My guess also, too, is with this further downdraft in, in December, I would venture to guess, and a pretty safe guess, that when the bank participation report comes out for early January, they're going to show the banks getting further net long. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Mm-hmm. The price is going down now, but the banks are getting more and more and more net long. You know, who knows where the bottom is? Who knows how much, you know, physical they have available that they can drive on the market and drive the price lower. But as they drive the price lower, the banks are getting further and further net long, according to the bank participation report. And I agree with you. I don't doubt for a second that J.P. Morgan might be colluding with China uh, to give to give them gold at reduced rates. You know, J.P. Morgan sold their building in Manhattan to China at, at something like half off, hmm. which you know holds the largest depository of gold in the world. You know, the question is, what happened to that gold that's in that building that that J.P. Morgan sold to China? Hmm, I wasn't aware of that, Paul. Uh, do you do you happen to know where that building is in New York City? Uh, it, you know, this, a, this, this was an article that came out about, I'd say, a month or two ago off oh. of Zero Hedge. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I don't have that at my fingertips. Okay, no but, problem, no problem. That's very interesting information. I'll certainly do some research on that. But you know, Paul, you were just saying your supposition or your belief that your that banks are probably going to go more long. And here is a very interesting article from Bloomberg that I just pulled up today. It says Shanghai Gold Exchange contract volume surges on price slump. Yep. So th- this would go right in hand with what you and I are just talking about. Right. Uh, the Chinese are, the lower the price goes, the more these guys love this stuff. Right. Uh, and it was also an art. I think it was a, um, uh, I think it was also on Bloomberg television the other day, or it was CNBC, uh, that one of the analysts was talking about how all the gold is disappearing from the Western vaults and heading, heading off to China. This right. is, I think, very, very important stuff. And I have to wonder to what extent all this plays into the geopolitical landscape. You know, it seems to me, Paul, that we've had, um, uh, we've had Jim Rickards on this show talked about how the game uh, that the Chinese and the other you know, non-friendly countries, the United States, uh, they have a very difficult time competing with us on a military front because of the massive amount of weapons we have, but they sure can play games in terms of their ability to do things financially because of their financial strength. Right. You have to wonder that, you know, if they are able now to buy the gold uh, and to pull it over into that part of the world and a Western world that seems to have uh, just doesn't understand anymore the value of real money, asset-based money instead of liability money, that maybe we're getting set up for some major changes down the road in terms of a currency regime change. Any thoughts on that? I totally agree. You know, Prior to recently, you know, there have been people who have talked about like a reset, you know, like one day we could wake up and the price of gold could be double. And I've kind of dismissed that for quite some time. But as time goes on, I'm seeing China accumulate more and more and more. And you see like the registered inventory, the COMEX, go down from like 3 million ounces down to like 600,000 ounces right now. You see the GLD ETF lose like 40% of their inventory, um, I think the possibility of a reset increases. Mm-hmm. I don't dismiss it anymore. It's a possibility. Um, yeah. I definitely agree with you, Paul. I definitely agree with you. Well, you know, I'm, my engineer is telling me we're out of time now, but what I would like you to tell me before we say goodbye uh, today is uh, tell our listeners uh, about your newsletter. Where can they avail themselves to it? It's an excellent letter. 
and I would highly recommend people consider buying it because it's uh, a subscription to that letter because it's very good. And I understand you're going to come out with something on your next letter on December 31st. Can you give our listeners some sense of what you might be talking about yet on the 31st and also tell them how they can avail themselves to your letter? Um, you can go to my website, which is thegoldandsilveranalyst.com, and uh, find out a little bit about me. And um, I've got uh, subscriptions for six months, one year, and two years. And basically, my newsletter comes out twice a month, on the 15th and then on the last day of the month. Um, but uh, as far as like what I'm going to talk about this coming 31st, actually, it's a little bit early, and uh, I'm still still working on it. Yeah, well, these markets move very fast, so uh, it's true. It's very difficult to say uh, long in advance what you might be talking about. But I really look forward to receiving it, Paul. Thank you very much again for being with us today. It's really appreciated, and we'll look forward to talking to you sometime again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Paul. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next will be the CEO of, I think, one of the most undervalued junior gold mining companies out there. They have huge world-class potential properties that are being developed by the likes of Newmont Mining, uh, Freeport MacMurrin, and those kinds of companies. I'm talking about David Cole. He's the CEO of Eurasian Minerals. That's a stock that is trading under a dollar, if you can believe it. And uh, we want to talk to... David to find out what uh, what he's got in store for Eurasian Minerals now as we approach the new year. So don't go away. We'll be right back with David Cole. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Cole. He's the pr- uh, the president and CEO of one of my favorite companies. This is a company called Eurasian Minerals, which is a project generator company. And for those of you not familiar with the project generator model, uh, I like it. Probably it's the best way to play the junior mining sector, especially in times like these, uh, because they're using other people's money to... Uh, to fund expensive and high-risk exploration uh, efforts and uh, drill programs and so forth. 
And so rather than having to go back to the well and issue countless numbers of shares, the project generator, uh, the company that's, the companies, those project generators that have been able to identify very good properties with good prospects are able to attract smart uh, investors and smart money like uh, major mining companies, which is certainly the case of Eurasian Minerals. It is one of my top picks. Uh, it is a stock that I own personally. It's a stock that's uh, been a recommendation in my newsletter, and Eurasian Minerals has been a sponsor of the show in the past. Uh, for that, we are grateful, and we're also very grateful to have David Cole with us again. Thank you, David, for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Jay. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You know, it's a it's really a pleasure to talk to you. It's not a pleasure to watch those shares go down as they have. Everybody's shares in this sector have gone down. Good companies as well as those not so good. Um you're selling somewhere in the range of 90 cents to a dollar, somewhere in that range, I believe. 72 about 73 million shares outstanding. That means you're probably at a market cap around 70 million dollars or something like that, which is remarkable for in my view because of all the things that you have going for you. So um, I'd like to ask you, first of all, what do you make of this market? I mean, how much further have we got to go, Dave, before we start to see some light at the end of the tunnel? Well, those are great questions. Um, First of all, you highlighted the market cap relative to the portfolio at Eurasian Minerals. Probably never been a more favorable ratio, in my opinion, in in the history of the company. Um, And... uh, you know, the, the beta impact on the Eurasian Mineral share price, i.e., how we trade relative to the market, um, you know, is it, it, a significant impact, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And we've had a very good alpha performance over the history of the company, mm-hmm. and we've outpaced the, the indices. But the indices have had the dramatic moves to the upside and the downside um, that clearly affect us the same way they affect everybody else. And that's a fact of life. And those shareholders that take advantage of these big pullbacks are the ones that do well over over the long haul, certainly. And the, but these exacerbated business cycles within our sector have been something to witness over the course of the last decade, haven't they? Oh, indeed they have. And, uh, you know, but I, I was looking at your, at your chart, though, Dave, and certainly while you're down from, I guess you were up $3 and something a, a couple of years ago, uh, you're down a lot less than a lot of the other companies, uh, a lot of the other project generators too. So, uh, if that's any consolation, but really, it, it's it's all relative, isn't it? it? It depends on what you've got on the ground and I, um, in the ground and uh, the prospects that you have. And you have so many things going. First of all, you are involved in how many different countries and how many projects do you have? You know, we have about eighty projects constituting about 150 properties in a dozen countries around the world, largely in either a joint venture status or part of a regional strategic alliance or uh, royalty properties that we own within our portfolio, um, in addition to some strategic investments. Mm -hmm. And that's all part and parcel to our business model that you alluded to. And the way that Eurasian Minerals execute the prospect generation business model is somewhat unique relative to our other uh, prospect generation cousins, uh, many of those companies I have huge respect for, by the way. Um, and <clears throat> uh, the way we execute the prospect generation business model um, has been fine-tuned over the years. And the, the, the core driving goal right now for us is to continue to acquire large tracts of prospective mineral real estate and then turn those into royalties, typically with advanced minimum royalty payments or lease payments and share payments that come in advance of discovery uh, to us so that we get at least some incremental cash flow coming into the company from those properties 
and let the incoming partner have 100% project equity where we keep gross royalties and advanced minimum royalty income flow on those assets. And, and that is the way that we're guiding this company. So we're really becoming more of a royalty generator than a project generator, if you will. Hmm. And then to augment our portfolio of organically grown royalties over time, we do occasionally buy royalties to enhance that portfolio. And um, we utilize our global geological uh, intelligence network to help identify those opportunities to purchase royalties. And then likewise, the third leg to the stool of value creation at Eurasian Minerals, if you will, is strategic investments. So we, we will make strategic investments into companies where our geological intelligence tells us that they're doing something special, and there's a special opportunity to get in at a very attractive valuation and become a significant shareholder in, in a new discovery around the world. And uh, the best example for of that right now is our um, investment in Intergeo Copper, which is advancing the Malmish copper discovery in far southeastern Russia with Freeport MacMoran, the largest U.S. copper company, as our partner on that property. And so that's, that's, that's the three things that Eurasian Minerals is focusing on, the organic growth of our royalty portfolio via the prospect generation business model, augmenting that portfolio with royalty purchases in addition to conducting strategic investments based upon our global geologic intelligence. Well, let's. Um, I want to ask you about your royalties, but before we get to that, uh, while you, since you already mentioned the Russian project, talk to us about that, Dave. What sort of potential does that have? Give us, give us some sense of idea, some idea of, of, of the scope of the potential of this thing, because I know there have been some phenomenal drill intercepts, but what do you know about the, uh, about the extent of the target area that, that you'll be exploring, that will be, uh, uh, that will be explored there? How big could this thing be? Yeah. Um, so there are two press releases that we've put out that spell out the geometry of the zones that we're working on and um, announce some of the key intercepts that have been made within the drill holes uh, that have been put in. There's been um, getting close to 200 drill holes now drilled on the property, delineating 14 productive porphyry copper gold systems along a belt that extends in over 20-kilometer length. Hmm. And you know, it, it, it is. It has the potential to be a very large copper system, as measured um, against uh, other major deposits in the world. And um, uh, one of our key um, goals on that property is is to continue to understand the breadth of the large, low, and medium grade um, alteration and mineralization outboard from the mineral centers, but also to find the higher grade cores, which can drive good economics early in the in the mm-hmm. project. And so we're focusing on that now. That's a very, very, very key asset in our portfolio. Eurasian Minerals owns 41% of the private company. That's advancing that discovery. And I'm of the opinion that uh, that share ownership could be worth uh, more than our current market market cap, in my opinion. Well, your current market cap, which is uh, not all that high right now, but for sure uh, would seem so. 41% of the company that's developing the project and what percentage of the project does that company have? Yes, Intergeo Copper is the name of the private company, and they own 51%, and they are the manager. Okay. And then 49% is held by Freeport. Okay. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty good, pretty good partner to have there when it comes to these large uh, copper gold. Has it got gold in it as well? Yes. Is it copper correct. gold porphyry? Very good gold ratios, actually. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. Excellent. Well, Copper gold porphyry is in a belt. 
I mean, this. Um, so it's still fairly early stage. I mean, you know, you've got a big deposit there. It's just, but a lot more work needs to be done before the economics can be uh, discerned. I guess there, right? Yeah, that's correct. Another couple of years, at least, until we can start to get a picture of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's correct. But certainly, it's well indicated by the drill results to date. But we're in a market where um, the market is. Um, agnostic towards drill results at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is for sure. It can be some spectacular drill results, and it doesn't move the needle one iota, it seems, right now. But that yeah. doesn't mean that those drill results aren't valuable to investors who have their eyes open. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your royalties. Um, I know that you've got one and another very good partner named Newmont Mining that is uh, producing gold at, I think it's the Leeville Project in Nevada. What are you getting out of that now, Dave? How much cash is that bringing in? That's paying us about $3 million a year in cash, Jay. Uh-huh. And we're delighted to have that cash flow, and we're delighted to have a royalty on the northern portion of the Carlin Trend with Newmont as an operator. They're one of the world's best gold operators that you can have, and, and we're delighted to own that royalty. You also, I think the North Pipeline is another royalty you've got uh, there. Is that part of what we're talking about? So, yeah, the North Pipeline royalty is should not be confused with the pipeline deposit. That's a mm-hmm. separate deposit further to the south. Um, that's a small royalty on a placer gold uh, project oh, okay. in the Crescent Valley area of Nevada. It does have some good hard rock exploration potential, however. Uh, it, it is right smack dab in the middle of some of those big gold belts that transects through that transect through Nevada uh, and is part of our uh, portfolio. And with regards to the United States, we have um, a whole myriad of different copper and gold projects that are joint ventured with different companies, mm-hmm. all of which gives us the opportunity to obtain a royalty um, on down the line. And we've executed the business very, very well, particularly in Arizona and Nevada, where we've acquired a number of quite interesting properties and joint ventured those out with a host of different companies, including one project that's joint venture with Freeport and another project, Copper Basin, that you and I discussed previously, um, that has produced some quite interesting drill results. Uh, this joint venture with Valley, one of the world's largest mining houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you, Russia and uh, the United States, uh, Arizona and uh, uh, Arizona, Nevada primarily. Uh, what about Turkey is another area of interest. I know you've got some really good things going on there. Talk to us about what you've got going in Turkey. Yeah, happy to. You know, I've been a passionate believer in the mineral potential in Turkey for a long time and uh, have worked there extensively in my career. And... We have executed the prospect generation business model for over a decade there and resulted in three discoveries that are advancing where we have royalty positions on those discoveries. Uh, very favorable deals to the benefit of your regimental shareholders. A 4% royalty on the Balia lead zinc silver discovery that's been advancing now with multiple drill rigs and multiple high-grade lead zinc silver zones that are being delineated. Uh, the Akarja gold silver discovery is now being advanced by a very, very well-funded Turkish group uh, they're in the steel and banking business, and that gold and silver discovery has produced some excellent uh, um, high-grade as well as broader zones of medium-grade mineralization. Over time, we've, we've put out a whole myriad of different press releases, which you've seen, Jay, and commented mm-hmm. on. Um, I expect that uh, we'll continue to generate news from that property as that resource grows over time. And we also own the Sisorta discovery, which was made... Um, um, a number of years ago in his joint venture with Chesser Resources. Uh, so we, we've had a very productive 
business in Turkey over time, and and uh, we're starting to enjoy the fruits of that with advancing resources on our properties. Where do you think your next uh, your next cash flow royalty cash flow might come from? Could it be one of those projects in Turkey? Yeah, I believe that the next ro- the next cash flow from production is likely to come from the Balya Lead Zinc Silver Discovery mm-hmm. at the uh, Dedman Modangilic, the local lead zinc mining company that has that project. Um, is quite capable of putting that into production. Is that uh, how far along towards production is it? Have they done economics on it? Yeah, project feasibility study yet, or anything like that? Well, they're they're a private company, so they don't release information. Yeah. Uh-huh. That um, but we are familiar with their development. Certainly, we stay in very good communication with them. Um, and they actually had an interesting thing happen. They they went to put in a shaft to put it into production, and then they ran into a high grade zone when they put the shaft down. And of course. Oh. Prefer to put a shaft in a place where you're outside the mineralization and then drift into the mineralization to mine it because you'll sterilize the mineralization immediately adjacent to the shaft. Yeah. Um, it would, uh, you know, uh, it would, it would um, interfere with the integrity of the shaft if you mine the mineralization immediately adjacent to the shaft. Yeah. They actually had that problem where they're having troubles finding the edges of the mineral that continues to remain open <laughs> as they drill it. So they had to back off from that shaft sinking project in order to put it in production. So it's a Hollywood problem uh, in that uh, the mineralized zone continues to grow. But it uh, probably delays the cash flows from what otherwise would have been for you. Yeah. yeah. It's money in the bank. It's money in the bank, Jay. You yeah. know, and and uh, we know that lead, zinc, and silver is going to come out of the ground and we'll have our 4% royalty, which is a fabulous royalty to have. Yeah, indeed. And zinc, I think, in uh, in talking to some of my uh, colleagues that I've had on my show I think, I think it's zinc that Eric Coffin is extremely bullish on right now and says, just show me a good zinc mine. So I guess this isn't a pure zinc mine, obviously, but nonetheless. Uh, and that's, uh, you've got 4% royalties, uh, I think you mentioned on that one as yeah, well. So it'll be... Okay, so I, I know you also have uh, uh, some properties in, uh, is it Kyrgyzstan or one of those places, one of the stands... Yep, we, we had a prospect generation program in Kyrgyzstan that was led by a very good geologist there, Pavel Reichel, and we generated some opportunities. Ultimately, we sold that business unit and kept royalties on those properties. They're being advanced by a Korean company. Uh, we also have a robust portfolio in northern Sweden and uh, for, for iron, copper, and gold deposits, and we're doing some, some good work there in northern Sweden. I'm quite mm-hmm. impressed, actually, with the geological prospectiveness and the ability to, to function within the country of Sweden, which was rated number two um, recently on the global mining risk scale as the, the second best country in the world to work in the mining business. And we, we found Sweden to be a, a very functional place, and, and the geology of northern Sweden is particularly interesting. We're quite excited about that. And there's a very large discovery ongoing with reservoir minerals in the country of Serbia, mm-hmm. and reservoir minerals was a an, was an company created by the uh, a merchant banking transaction early in the history of Eurasian Minerals where we sold off our Serbian portfolio for a combination of cash, shares, and royalties on the projects. And, and Reservoir has gone on to make a very good discovery there, partnered with Freeport, the rest of property. And we have royalties in close proximity to that discovery that ultimately could become very valuable if that system continues to grow. I think that's uh, quite prospective real estate there. Yeah, I noticed a 2% NSR on gold and a 1% on base metals. Is that it for that one? That's correct. That's uh-huh. correct. Right. And I guess, you know, what I'd like to know as a shareholder and uh, is 
how soon do you think some of these royalties are going to kick in? I mean, it's hard to say. You mentioned the one in in Turkey uh, was ready to go into production, and they had this great problem of discovering another high grade or another mineralized zone where they're going to put the shaft. Uh, but to give us some sense of idea, you know, some idea of of how soon we might see more cash flow coming into the company. I mean, within the next two, three years, we might see something more. I, I do believe that. And there's a number of catalysts that can drive our stock price other than cash flow from the royalties. Sure. Actuation of the valuation of, of the underlying resources. You know, one important thing about royalties, Jay, is that they tend to trade at a premium because when a, a royalty holder is exposed to uh, perpetual exploration upside, in addition to commodity price rise over time. And because of those two factors, royalties tend to trade at a premium. So you could get recognized for royalty ownership before they start to become cash flowing. Mm-hmm. And certainly the mining industry is an industry where it takes a long time to bring a deposit through the exploration phase, the development phase, and into production. So sometimes you can be years away from actual um, uh, cash flow from production, but still get significant credit for the ownership as the exposure that you have to those assets. And a great example of that is the premium that Franco Nevada the, you know, and um, and Royal Gold, the two largest gold royalty companies, trade at uh, relative to their actual cash flow. And and that's the best example to point to to show what the market will give credit for relative to, to cash flow. So Indeed. We see yeah. credit in our, in our share price before we get cash flow. But um, very importantly, you know, we do expect to see cash flow from the volume royalty when that comes into production. Um, we believe that the Akarja project will move forward and has a strong likelihood of becoming a significant cash flow and royalty over time. Mm-hmm. And other royalties in our portfolio, which are quite numerous, so it takes too much time to go through them all. Yeah, there really are. There are a lot of them, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the whole portfolio waxes over time as they're advanced. Exactly. We haven't uh, mentioned Australia yet, and I know you've got some really exciting, albeit fairly early, uh, prospects in Australia. Just take maybe 30 seconds to tell us about that. Sure. The Coonanbury Project in Australia is being joint ventured off, and we're keeping a royalty there. That's a very exciting grassroots prospect where some large specimen gold was found. And so, of course, people get quite excited when they see the specimen gold. Um, sometimes that's indicative of a good hard rock deposit, and sometimes it's not. Uh, we believe it's quite prospective, and, and there's some new owners coming onto that property to advance it, and we're happy to be royalty holders. Another important one in that part of the world, Jay, is the Neesville property in the Coromandel, which is a large gold-producing region in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and we're glad to have a royalty on there with Glass Earth operating. Uh, that project has excellent long-term potential as well. And just two more good examples of the execution of this royalty generation model, building a portfolio over time. You're having, uh, you know, this, uh, to say the least, has been a very difficult time for for this industry. Juniors are having a hard time funding themselves. Um, you have a lot of major companies, though, that are, you know, pretty pretty well endowed uh, financially. Are you seeing them pull back uh, at all? Are you seeing some hesitation in going forward with some of the agreements that you have at this point in time, Dave? So that's a, a global phenomenon in the mining industry, Jay. There's no doubt about it. Definitely some of our partners have curtailed spending, um, and that's just a fact of life right now uh, in this current marketplace. But uh, in general, we still have very good news flow 
excuse me, very good deal flow, which has resulted in good news flow mm-hmm. um, that came in the recent past, where we've still been able to get our projects joint ventured. Uh, the terms that we're able to negotiate are less than they were two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still able to get deals done on our properties. We recently JV'd off six properties, in fact, in, in Arizona. Those are good porphyry copper exploration targets that have been joint ventured off to, to uh, quite solid groups. And uh, that raised a lot of eyebrows. I've had a number of people call and say, wow, that's impressive. You're able to get projects joint ventured off even in this environment. Mm-hmm. That speaks volumes to the quality of properties that the guys are generating down there in Arizona. Um, we're quite pleased about that. But, but you know, so, so things are still moving forward. The model's still working, absolutely. But we have seen some partner expenditure rates um, decline. Sure. No, I, I would have expected that. And uh, the point is that you're still using other people's money for the most part. The point is you've got $3 million a year coming in the door right now, uh, enough, to, I suppose, to keep the lights on and to keep the, the basic costs, the basic overhead costs covered or more so, more or less. So how much money do you have in the bank right now, Dave? We've got $13 million in the bank mm-hmm. in addition to uh, our portfolio of stocks that we own. Mm-hmm. Most important would be the the exposure to the Malmish discovery in Russia. Mm-hmm. That stock ship there is worth a, a, a lot, in my opinion, certainly relative to our market cap, as you pointed out. So we're in good shape financially with um, the royalty income flow coming in from the Carlin trend, the $13 million cash in the bank, um, uh, partners funding the bulk of our exploration expenditures globally. Uh, we're in good position to prudently take advantage of this downturn to, for the benefit of our shareholders. No, no doubt about that, Dave. I, I think that uh, you know your your shares have come down some. But one of the things I like to remind my subscribers about when it comes to project generators um, is that though the share prices have come down, they haven't had to issue a lot of shares like the other mining companies have. So the number of shares have been, remained relatively stable. And when this market turns around, that means you've got more leverage than if you've gone out and bought a, an operating company that has had to triple the number of shares outstanding in the last couple of years just to stay alive. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And I have an idea that when this market turns around, Eurasian Minerals is going to be one of the first ones out of the gate. Dave, is there anything else you'd like to tell us, uh, tell our listeners today before we conclude our discussion? We're working hard for our shareholders, Jay. I appreciate your positive comments. And uh, every day we're sifting through the world, finding new projects to acquire that are adding value to our portfolio. Well, I know you're working hard. I have no doubt about that. I've been following your company for a number of years. Uh, I really like what I see, I must say, and uh, I wish you all the best uh, for a, um, a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Oh, thank you, Jay. Be, I think it's going to be a better one than 2013 for the mining sector. I, I think so. I just have that feeling in my bones. At least I, I hope my feelings are correct. Uh, but thank you very much, Dave, again, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some thoughts about this week's show and a word or two about next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, in recapping today's show, I was very pleased to talk to David Cole, who's the president and CEO of Eurasian Minerals. It's a project generator company that I think is most exciting with huge uh, number of properties, world-class targets that are being funded by major mining companies. Uh, and uh, it is a company that is also quickly turning into a royalty company, already with some $3 million coming to the company's coffers per year uh, for a gold project operated by Newmont, that being in Nevada. And there's expansion there, uh, lots of other royalty properties around the world. Very, very exciting company. And I would also add that the company's gold porphyry target in Russia in which it owns a an equity interest uh, in the largest player in that project uh, could also be hugely valuable to this company because it is a massive major deposit. When it comes to technical analysis, no one takes a backseat to Charles Nanner, so it is always good to have David Gerwitz, his spokesperson, to be with me to update Charles' latest targets. With regard to gold, the news is not all that good. Uh, Charles uh, Nanner is now targeting $1,140 for gold, so one wonders if we might not yet test that 1000 price for gold. What we're going to have to try to do is find some ways uh, to hedge our, the long side of our portfolio uh, on the gold uh, in the gold market. And I do know of one triple-down ETF that I've used for very short-term trades that's worked well, but if there's someone out there that knows of a single-down, uh, single-short against gold or the gold shares, please let me know. I'd like to uh, have a more stable, uh, less volatile way of playing the short side of the gold market to try to hedge ourselves uh, because I think it's very possible that we are still we still haven't seen the lows in gold as much as I wish that were not the case. One of the most interesting aspects uh, I think of uh, this world and of the markets is the interplay with geopolitics. You know, we had um, James Rickards on this show not long ago that talked about how he believes the Chinese will use currency wars as a means to compete against the military superiority of the United States. And indeed, that seems to be very much in play right now as the Chinese are importing huge amounts of gold, massive amounts of gold, and China and various other countries are also setting up gold trading exchanges to compete with what is quickly becoming a very fraudulent COMEX and 
LMBA. The London and U.S. gold markets are really paper markets. They're paper casinos. And there's just simply not enough gold there to satisfy uh, delivery if people want to take something like leveraged 100 to 1 or more in terms of paper to gold. So I think the Chinese and others are seeing through that. Uh, Very interesting things going on there. Uh, That is something we want to talk to uh, Daniel McAdams about, too, to the extent he's available. Uh, He will be talking. We, We want to try to understand the interplay between the currency, uh, the policy, the the foreign policies of the U.S. government and economics, and certainly, in my view, that that whole issue of uh, currency alignment and the possibility of a new currency regime, which I think is very much in play, could be in play in 2014, and that could come about, in my view, if we uh, if we have some major decline in the equity market. And for that, I want to thank Dr. Robert McHugh. He wasn't on the show today, but we've talked to him in the recent past, and I've been reading his material. Dr. McHugh is pointing out this jaws of death formation in the uh, in the Dow and in other markets as well. This is a very ominous uh, formation. It usually portends a major decline in the equity market, but as McHugh points out, uh, this jaws of death or megaphone formation is far greater than anything else we have seen. It is a massive formation, and McHugh believes that sometime in 2014 or 2015, we're likely to see a very major decline in the equity markets. And if we get another meltdown, as we did in 2008-2009, one wonders what sort of tools the Federal Reserve would have uh, yet in its portfolio because it has now a really a zero interest rate policy. And if anybody thinks that's going to change in terms of the Fed's wishes um, and the tapering is on the is on the table, well, I believe the $10 billion a month tapering is just probably uh, still not much more than a propaganda tool. Uh, really, the the global economy, the U.S. economy especially, is still in the toilet. There's no real signs uh, of any kind of significant recovery. I think any uh, notion that there's a recovery is just a figment of the Fed's imagination more than anything else. Read John Williams and others to to see and just simply look around at record numbers of food stamps and fewer people employed than in 2008. We are not out of this uh, recession, in my view. So one of the things that McHugh points out is that when we have one of these jaws of death, it's followed uh, by a stock market crash and then an economic depression, a recession, and then war. One wonders and hopes and prays that that's not in store for us in the future. But one of the things I wanted to talk to Daniel about today and didn't get to talk to him about was this whole issue of the China and Japan um, confrontation that's going on over there now. Could this be a an excuse if we have a major uh, uh, economic meltdown for the neocons to wage war against the Chinese? they never a war they don't want to fight. The neocons in the military-industrial complex love war. They make lots and lots of money from war. So we'll be talking to Daniel McAdams. He's on next week, so maybe we'll talk to him next week about the China and the um, Japanese conflict. Well, that is uh, about all the time we have this week. Next week, Gene Epstein of Barron's will be with us to talk about health care. Dimitri Speck will talk about his marvelous new book called The Gold Cartel. And John Rubino will also stop by again to cover some of the topics we didn't get to when he was with us a couple of weeks back, including the topic of Bitcoin, which is, believe it or not, really becoming a big thing. With Daniel McAdams, as I say, will be with us again until next week. And please, all of you, have a joyous and Merry Christmas. Christmas.
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.